Hey, you guys, Patrick here. Just a reminder to check out my other podcast, Broadway Backstory, the documentary-style podcast I make with Today Ticks, in which each episode finds out how a show develops from an idea to a full production. For each episode, we pick a show and then talk to everyone involved, the actors, writers, producers, director, and more, and then make a fun and really well-produced, if I do say so myself, documentary about how the show got made. We've just launched season two with two episodes about Hamilton. Our next episode is all about Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And we also have episodes coming up about Come From Away, Bonnie and Clyde, The Light in the Piazza, Bring It On, and Kinky Boots. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can stream episodes and find great bonus interviews at todaytix.com slash Backstory. Today's episode is brought to you by Acting Manito, the acting camp in the beautiful state of Maine. Find information at actingmanito.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by BroadwayCon 2018. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for a special BroadwayCon-themed message from our friend Aaron Quill. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys... This is kind of a big deal. We are so excited to bring you today's episode with Clyde Barrow himself, Mr. Jeremy Jordan. Okay, you guys, here's the deal. Jeremy got sort of tricked into this interview. He very kindly agreed to sit down with me to talk about Bonnie and Clyde for the Bonnie and Clyde episode of Broadway Backstory. But we seem to be enjoying each other's company. So when we were done with Bonnie and Clyde, I asked him if we could just keep talking about his career and I'd make it into a theater people episode. And he said, sure. What a sport you are, Jeremy Jordan. Jeremy made his Broadway debut as an understudy and a swing in Rock of Ages in 2009. He went on to be the Tony alternate in the Broadway production of West Side Story before originating the roles of Clyde Barrow in Bonnie and Clyde in 2011 and Jack Kelly in Newsies in 2012, the role for which he earned his first Tony nomination. He's also a big movie and TV star now, but you know all that. I loved chatting with him. Here's our conversation. To you, Bonnie, babe, I can make plans again. I got lots of reasons to keep living. It's um, hi, Jeremy Jordan. Hi there. All right, so first question, how did you first hear about the project? We're talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, sir. Um, I first heard about the project because I got an audition for it while I was in West Side Story on Broadway doing Tony twice a week. Um, I've been doing it for about eight months and you know was starting to look for the next gig and uh this came upon the came across my agent's desk and i uh they asked me you know if i wanted to read it and you know take a look at it and i knew the people at telsey but i'd never met frank or jeff calhoun or anybody involved in it uh, other than the casting office so uh, i guess somebody had talked me up because i show up and i think it was on a weekend which there's not usually auditions on weekend. I show up to Telsey, uh, the casting office, and nobody else is there. It's just me <laughs> and the whole creative team. I'm like doing like ten pages of you know script and songs, and uh, I was like, okay. And and Laura, I think Laura was there, reading with me, um, and I guess they just, you know, I I they had lost Stark Sands. Uh, because he was doing American Idiot, and this was for the off. This is for the out of town, second out of town tryout in Sarasota, Florida, at the at the Oslo. And so, yeah, they needed a replacement, and uh, I guess word got out that the new kid in town was 
Jeremy Jordan over at Westside playing Tony twice a week, <laughs> um, sitting on his hands basically. And uh, and yeah, so I went in and 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 you know it was great, and we all got along really well. And next thing I knew, I was out in southern in the southern part of the country, soaking up the sun on the beach and rehearsing during the day. What was your I mean, the music, I, I forgot to tell you that Bonnie and Clyde is like my top five favorite shows of all time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I really could not love that show any more than I possibly do. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I really <laughs> love it so much. And I, I, I'm curious about like what it was like for you when you heard the music for the first time. Like, what were your thoughts? Were you immediately drawn to it? Totally. I, I hadn't heard much. Um, I hadn't, I had heard like two songs from it and it was Laura singing, probably either how about a dance or dying ain't so bad and then it was one of the duets that they sang that was it and then i had one other song that i learned for the audition and it wasn't until i got to uh rehearsal that i heard any of the other music i know actually i'm I'm lying in fact before we went out to do it we did a a weird table read and random somewhere in the city and, and read through it and that's when i first heard it all and i was like wow this is actually really great and i and i knew a lot of frank's stuff my best friend in college, Michael Mott, was obsessed with Frank Wildhorn uh, as a kid. And even through college, you know, he would try to, like, get us all on board with all of Frank's, like, underground stuff. Like, all his in-development things, all his European shows. <laughs> We're like, dude, we get it. You love him. It's fine, okay? We all know Jack and Hyde. We know Scott Pepinell. Like, we don't need to know, like, whatever, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald musical he's writing um, but somewhere right now, there's a kid doing that same thing with like that same music, but it's you. They're all listening to you. Totally, totally That's so amazing. I mean, so I knew all about Frank's music, and and but what really surprised me was how different this sounded, and um, and how sort of authentic it felt, and kind of raw, and and what drew me to it most was was that I felt like it it was really malleable in that you can kind of take it and spin it in whatever way you want and he really let us kind of do what we wanted with it i mean all the little riffs and weird little kind of things in there are all stuff that i made up because you know he gave us the freedom he just kind of let give us an outline of the song and then we kind of got to run with it which was really really great for the creative process um you know it's something that as actors you kind of grab on to any amount of sort of hand in the creative process that you can have because everything's being written by other people and you're being directed. And so when you can contribute in some way, um, you definitely want to be able to feel like you have that hold, hold of it, you know. Did you, when you went in for your audition, did you leave the audition really wanting the job or was it just kind of like, ah, if that happens? Yeah, I totally wanted the job. Um, yeah, it seemed like the right next step for me. Um, I had never led a show. I'd never, uh, not really, um, especially, you know, in a conceptual. I'd done, like, a couple of table reads, but I'd never done, like, a full production where, like, it was a new show, and that was really exciting. Um, so I was all about it. And uh, and it was a good audition, and I was the only one there, so I had a good feeling about it. And I think I probably found out the next day or later that day. So it was uh, luckily not too much of a waiting game for me. You and Laura are like one of like the great pairings, I think, of our generation of yeah. theater actors. Do you have a memory of like the first time you saw her? I was thinking because I know you guys were called to Sarasota a week before everybody else, and I imagine that's where you guys met for the first time. But I no, guess that's not true. That's not true. 
Um, we had met a couple times. One, um, oddly, I was dating Ashley, and they were friends from the Grease show, but I'd never met Laura. Um, and I went to, after I got the show, I went to see her. I think I'd met her out at the audition, but it was just briefly just to do reading. And then I went to go see her in South Pacific because she was doing that at the time. And, uh, and then, like I said, we did like this random little table read and, um, and that was kind of like when we felt the sort of chemistry click in a place, it was just like, oh, that's, that's that. It was just like a quick little thing. We had had like a day of rehearsal and then we did the presentation the next day. And, you know, during rehearsal, especially for those sorts of things, you kind of just fudge it and you're just kind of like okay here's the lines okay this is a song okay that's what we're gonna do here and then you get there and you just kind of you know it's not super important it's just like really to hear it and we just dove in and uh it was like okay there's something special here so and that was that you guys so you did get to sarasota a week before the rest of the every we did yes we did we got laura and i got there early um to work on all our scenes with Jeff and we were doing rewrites as well. Um, so we got there and we just went through all our scenes, all our songs and, and tried to stage it. And we were kind of workshopping it and feeling our way through all the stuff. Frank was writing new songs and, uh, and, uh, Dawn was writing new lyrics and Ivan was writing new, uh, scenes. And, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, it was really nice because I was the new kid because a lot of the people had done the show uh, up at La Jolla uh, before. And so to kind of build a rapport with Laura without everybody else there um, was really, I think, really important for us to um, to build that foundation so that when everybody else came in, it wasn't just like me trying to mix with everybody else at the same time. Like we had formed that core thing and then I could form relationships with other people. What was your, like, level of knowledge of Bonnie and Clyde going into it, going into, like, rehearsal? No, I didn't know much about them at all. <laughs> it's funny, when I was in college, I helped a, um, there's a big film school, Ithaca, where I went to school, and one of the film kids had asked me to, to help him do this project where he had to do, like, a silent scene, and he picked a scene from Bonnie and Clyde to do the silent scene, and it was, like, some scene where they're driving, and then she gets out of the car and has a fit, and he goes and tries to comfort her, and... It was so random, and, it, and I had no idea anything about Bonnie and Clyde except they were, like, famous robbers that were in love. And, uh, and I remember going back and watching that being like, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but, uh, but, but when I did book it, I, I, got the, I bought the biography that was recently released, which was a lot of the inspiration for our version of the show. Um, so I read through that and got a good idea of the history and read a couple other things. So... I definitely got uh, the historical sort of research in. I'd never played a real character before, mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to try to get it as as close to right as possible and then be able to bring in knowledge of, of real things into the process. You know, like uh, a lot of the things that I read shaped our discussions about the characters and in turn shaped whole scenes and, and, and whole shifts in the character that, that we then added into the show throughout the run and throughout both productions that I did. So, um, like, for instance, a lot of the jail stuff changed um, because of what I had read, and we talked about, you know, what was important in forming Clyde uh, into the kind of killer that he became um, while he was in jail because he had to go through all these terrible things and 
And so we tried to spell that out a little bit more clearly. So, you know, it was a really collaborative process. Laura, it's funny. We've interviewed Laura like a million times. And I'm always, and I always am like, tell me more about this thing, mm. which is she says that, you know, I think of Laura as like a boss. Like, I think now when you get, like, when you hire Laura Austin for a show, like, she is going to come in with ideas and she's going to come in with, like, opinions. And she says she got all of that from you. That She learned that by working with you, especially in Sarasota, that Aww. it was okay to have an opinion and to be collaborative. And I'm wondering if you remember, is that just it, human nature or was that something that you had to work up to? Or did you just feel, like, ready to contribute your thoughts and ideas? That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but I can see that because Laura was is always was was always the girl that was gonna defer to you and do like you know she didn't want to ruffle any feathers she wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings um, she probably would have told you that she didn't think that she had any ideas that were that important and we would have long talks and discussions and and I think she gained a lot of self confidence over the uh, the course of doing that show and playing Bonnie who's a very confident character. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm not, it's not that I'm bossy or anything like that. It's, it's, it's that if I see something that is not working or right, I'm going to say something. And, and, uh, and luckily Jeff Calhoun gave us, um, a lot of leeway and really asked for our opinions. And, you know, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you. And so like, I would say this doesn't work or this is weird or, or why are we doing this? And uh, and it it all ultimately is going to make the show better. I I I don't I'm not sure where that really stemmed from for myself. I mean I you know Laura <clears throat> jumped right into the theater out of high school and I went through the whole college process and argued a lot with my professors and I think that's probably uh, where that study? came from. I I studied acting. Oh, um, but like I I was constantly butting heads with people because I always had different ideas than everybody else, uh, which I think ultimately in the long run has served me really well because it's helped led me to kind of take risks and think outside the box. Um, but it also kind of has led me to like this whole <laughs> not being able to censor myself, which I've gotten much better at actually. Um, I mean, when I was in Westside, I had a big, big like confrontation with Arthur Lawrence uh, while he was still with us. Will and you tell us everything? He, well, I mean, he would uh, he would gather the cast once a month for a note session, and uh, you know during the run of Broadway, and ultimately pick one person or two people and just rail into them. I mean, everybody just, has the same. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just what he did. I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason. I'm sure there was. He just that was his way of doing it, and. Right before I left for Bonnie and Clyde, actually, like a few days before I had my last show that he was going to be at. And, uh, and I think it might have been my last show, too. And he just, he picked me and he's like, you checked out early, this, this, this. And in my mind, I'm like, I gave that show a thousand percent, like more than I'd ever given in that show because I knew it was my last show, because I knew you were here. And I told him all this and I was like, I think... You know, I, I kind of called him out on it, and he, and then he tried to call me out and said, like, I was, you know, just posturing, you know, like, flaunting my sort of male dominance over the situation. And I was like, no, dude, you're just, like, you're just wrong. And I also, 
and you know and i and i started talking about how he calls people out on things and you know it's if anybody is i said something like if anybody uh is trying to uh portray sort of male dominance it's you <laughs> and hey, this is in front of the cast oh in front of everybody <laughs> yeah what's your middle name michael jeremy michael jordan yeah <laughs> But I, I had nothing to lose. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be humiliated in front of all these people that I respect and love by somebody that's, that's just going to – that's just doing it because either he's mad that I'm leaving his show or I don't know, something else. Um, and, I, and that was a big turning point for me in my kind of life as a – serious actor who began to stand up for myself you know i i you i did it a lot in bonnie and clyde not that it was anything like that because it was a very collaborative environment but i began to be kind of unafraid to speak my mind um came to a kind of a culmination with the last show that i did which was finding neverland um in which the process was was very difficult for the whole cast out in art and uh, I kind of became the voice of the cast and was unafraid to speak out about anything that was happening, you know, even if it got me in trouble, which it did. <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> maybe contributed to why I wasn't with the show. But um, To know, Diane Paulus or to like Harvey Weinstein or like how high up did you? Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, it wasn't as much to Diane. Uh, other members of the creative team a little bit and to Harvey too. But I mean... Uh, it's more of the idea. It wasn't that I was being mean or, or or abrasive or anything. It's just like people get afraid to say something. People, the uh, you know, actors feel like their job is on the line, especially when you're doing something out of town. Like, oh well, I'm not going to get to go to Broadway if I ruffle feathers or if I, you know, tip the boat over. I'm going to get in trouble, and there goes my career, and I'm going to get blacklisted by this person. Or, you know, they're going to fire me and they're going to replace me and then I'm going to be out of a job and I can't pay my rent. And all those things go through your head and then you don't say anything. And uh, I just decided that I wasn't going to be that person. And, you know, whatever happens, I'll figure it out. And uh, and for that show in particular, um, a lot of people were coming to me because they were afraid and I would voice their stuff for them, you know. So it wasn't necessarily I was yelling at anybody or yeah, calling you anybody out. So it was, calm. No, it wasn't that. It was it was just like, okay, here's the deal. Like we gotta fix this. We gotta figure out what this is. And just trying to bring things to people's attention and you know, that was and I and it, long story short, I, I guess that I, I mean I'm I'm really glad to hear because I'd never heard this before that, that Laura kind of got some of that from me. <laughs> I ask her about it. She's like, is this the part where you're going to ask me about Jeremy again? I'm like, yeah, uh, one more time. Oh, um, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when you guys when you guys open in Sarasota, how what kind of shape did you think the show was in? Did it, did it feel like a Broadway show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was in good shape. We didn't change a whole lot when it got to Broadway. Uh, not fundamentally. I mean, we changed a couple of songs. There was one song that I sang when I was in jail that did not work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny, and I love Frank Wildhorn to death. Um, he's like my older, older, older brother um, in in all the respects, like in that, like, I just want to make fun of him all the time, and we poke fun at each other, and, you know, we both like a lot of the same things, Texas things. And, and uh, anyways, 
he wrote this song. He came up to me one day at Sarasota, and he said, he said, I wrote this song just for you, Jeremy, just for you. I was like, wow, Frank, thanks. And he plays a song for me, and I swear to God, it sounds like like four other Frank Wildhorn songs that I, like, it was quintessential him. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this justice. And then that song ended up getting cut because it just didn't work, uh, because it wasn't the right style. And so once we we brought back an old song called Raise a Little Hell and put that in, uh, which worked a lot better. And uh, and then and then again, he kind of let me do what I wanted with it. So that's why it gets kind of crazy in there. Uh, but no, I, I think we were in really good shape and we kept so much of the cast. Uh, for some reason, they replaced Kevin Massey, which I still have no clue why because he was brilliant as, uh, as uh, Ted. And... Um, and that was really the only big change that we made and uh and and a couple songs and then we also i mean on broadway we changed the beginning and the ending like 400 times we could oh, not really? decide i mean that was the biggest thing we finished tech early we were in previews and we had weeks of previews and we had the show pretty much set and the one thing we kept coming back to is how the sh- how it was going to end and there was times where it ended back with gunshots. There was times where it ended with like a big number and a big like ensemble thing. There was times when we didn't see anything and we just kind of guessed what happened. And then it ultimately ended, which what I think was the right ending was with, with you know, them getting in the car. They're injured and they're like at their lowest point. And we know that the drive they're about to go on is going to be their final drive as they go to meet. Uh, whoever and on the way they get shot which we find out in the beginning and there's one moment that they share between themselves at the at the very end where you know they have a share a little joke and we see that they're still in love no matter what and it's beautiful if i'm if i'm remembering it right at the curtain call didn't you guys like didn't you like run off or so what was your curtain call thing you guys had a thing where like you came back out and like held hands and then like ran off i just remember seeing it and bawling uh, <laughs> i don't remember what it was but i remember like I it was just Laura no it was super out. it was super simple i mean the cast came out and then and the the little wooden scrim that we have on stage that the car comes through was mm-hmm. down it lifts up and then we walk out together and then walk forward and and bow, and then we walk back up into kind of like there's the, the stage has a yeah slant, yeah 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 yeah, and there's like a sunset in the background, so we kind of walk back up the hill like we're kind of going into heaven. Yeah, sort of right. I don't know what it was, but am I insane yeah. or do people love this show? They love it. Yeah, we we didn't know. I mean, because it was hard. I mean, it was really hard. Can because, we talk about that a little bit? About yeah, like I mean, we we were all we all believed in the show so much, and you know, listen. I'll be the first person to say the show wasn't perfect. There were lots of things that could have been better, as with any show. I disagree, show. Jeremy Jordan. But <laughs> but listen, as with any show, there's always improvements to be made. And, and you have to put out a final product eventually. And, you know, you want to keep working on it. But what we had was great. And, um, and people really connected with it emotionally. And when people would come af- out afterwards, I mean, I'd been in a bunch of shows. And the reaction was was visceral and really different and really emotional and surprised, of course, because they had not expected to love it that much. And um, and we had, in the short time we ran, so many people just coming over and over and over and over again because they just felt this connection with it. And 
you know, we got a couple stinky reviews and, uh, and, and, you know, we didn't, we honestly, the show wasn't advertised mm-hmm. hardly at all. There was a big poster in Times Square and nobody knew about it. And, uh, I don't know who's to blame for that, but like the fact is that the word wasn't out and people weren't coming and we tried to get word out of word of mouth out, but by then it was too late and, uh, our audiences were dwindling and we closed in 69 performances and uh, there was even a moment, like, a couple weeks after we opened that we knew things were going downhill, and, and uh, a couple of the members of the ensemble, uh, I think, I can't remember who it was, they did devise these uh, flyers that were wanted posters of Laura and I, and it was, like, wanted Broadway's, you know, n- the most wanted musical or something, and it... It, they they made it like a wanted poster. They did a really great design on it and then, you know, had information on the theater and how to get tickets on there. And literally what we did <laughs> was went into Times Square and just threw them all over the place. You did? We, like, we put them in phone booths. We put them on benches. We would throw them in store windows. Like, we printed out, like, a thousand of these, and we just littered Times Square with them. Like, completely illegally, not... Uh, we got in trouble with with the cops, and we had to stop. I mean, months later, you'd be walking down Times Square, and you'd see, like, this soggy sheet of paper, and it was, like, underneath a trash can, and it was the wow. flyer. And you, or, you'd, or you'd walk into, like, a like a bank ATM, you know, area, and you'd see one crumpled up in the corner. I mean, we tried. I mean, we didn't know what else to do because we felt like we were kind of alone in that. And... uh but, you know, it didn't work, and the show closed, and then got immediately released for licensing. Uh, they didn't tour it, and because they, you know, they wanted to make money off it or whatever, how they do that. And suddenly, it was, like, the top requested show around the country. Everybody wanted to do it. Like, it was this massive cult hit, and uh, and it's still being done all over the place and all over the world. I mean, it's really taken off it had taken a second life and now a word from this week's sponsor acting manitou is a theater camp located in the beautiful state of maine there young theater artists can explore personal creativity and hone their skills in performance music and theater tech while experiencing a traditional sleepaway summer camp experience in the foothills of maine's stunning lakes region With staff members you've seen on Broadway and hit productions of Wicked, Hairspray, Evita, Beauty and the Beast, and The Book of Mormon, you know you're working with the best in the business. Campers have the daily opportunities to work alongside professional directors and choreographers who work around the globe on theater, opera, and film. Recently, Acting Manitou has presented spectacular productions of Spring Awakening, Peter and the Starcatcher, Batboy, The Drowsy Chaperone, She Loves Me, and more. Be sure to check out the website at actingmanitou.com to see photos from these shows and more. In the summer mornings, campers take classes in musical theater, Shakespeare, improv, songwriting, playwriting, choreography, theatrical design, and more with our incredible staff who travel from around the world to spend six glorious weeks making theater in Maine. In the afternoons, campers collaborate on a full slate of classical, contemporary, and brand new plays and musicals for our end-of-camp festival of shows. Performance campers work diligently alongside stage management campers in our sun-filled rehearsal rooms. 
Music campers work closely with our professional music directors on the musicals and composing music for Shakespearean works as well as original plays and musicals. Tech campers spend their afternoon in our fully equipped shops, assisting scenic, costume, props, and lighting designers in fully realizing unique designs for all of our productions. Of course, we enjoy the beauty that Maine has to offer outside of the shows as well. Afternoon and evening activities include ping pong, soccer, baseball, as well as staff-led game show nights, murder mystery parties, movie nights, and of course, dances. Campers enjoy daily time by the pool, where they enjoy catching up with friends in different shows, reading under the shade of our new poolside cabana, and swimming. Most importantly, throughout the summer, campers and staff alike meet lifelong friends with their castmates, classmates, and bunkmates along the way. Come check out Acting Manitou in the summer of 2018 to create amazing theater, explore the gorgeous state of Maine, and make friends you'll have for the rest of your life. More information at www.actingmanitou.com. Okay, back to the show. When you guys came to do previews, I feel like Laura has said that, like, the previews were like electric. That like the uh, the pack the houses were packed. People were really into it, and then it opened, and the reviews weren't great, and that's when it fell off. Is that what yeah. you remember? I mean, I don't remember that part as much, but I do remember there was a there was a time where we had big houses, and then there wasn't. I imagine a lot of that had to do with not getting great reviews. Um, but I can't believe I can't like in my heart to believe that that's true, but. I I guess sadly it is, you know. Uh, But, you know, the thing is that people don't want to like Frank's work. Nothing to do with me or Laura or Jeff or anybody else. It's really this weird stigma that Frank has, uh, you know, because he's created these accessible kind of pop culture shows and because he, like, churns out stuff super fast and, you know, he's different kind of personality than most uh, writers and he's you know not afraid to go to europe and do shows and he he's unapologetically who he is as a writer and a lot of people for some reason don't in america don't um don't want to get on board with that and uh and it's not the right people i guess in terms of critics mm-hmm. and uh and that's that it was in fact, all the almost all the reviews said how surprised they were that they didn't hate it as much as they <laughs> expected to hate it. But because they went in wanting to hate it, they found things to hate about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So, and there were some good reviews. There were some great reviews um, from uh, f- smaller people that were not quite as biased, um, you know. But ultimately, there's really <laughs> there's really like one or two reviews that actually matter. So. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the famous like n- nude scene? <laughs> I was reading about this today, and I was like, "This interviewer is not letting him off the hook." Like she wanted the whole story, and I feel like you. Th- what I read was that you, w- when you got to f- like you, you had said that normally if there's going to be a nude scene, it's in your contract and it's part of the contract, and then all of a yeah. sudden Jeff was like, "Oh, and this is where you get out of the bathtub." Well, that's not the worst of it. When I first got to Sarasota. See, nobody told me anything about being naked, which, you know, I probably would have been okay with. My very first show I did professionally was The Little Dog Laughed, and I was fully naked, you know, like straight up, like making out with another dude in the center of stage, like for a wa- for a minute. You're, like, welcome, you're welcome, America. Yeah, it was intense. I got appendicitis, and I had to leave the show. It was very strange. My mom saw my final performance 
I think she's the one that put the appendix over the edge. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, so I get to Sarasota, and Jeff is like, we're, we're at the rehearsal room, and there are props laying about. And he's like, oh, and this is where this is happening. Oh, and that's the bathtub. You know, you'll, I don't know, we'll probably only see your ass. It's not a big deal. Like, but you'll be naked. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I didn't say anything, and then he's t- he keeps talking. He's talking about, like, oh, and here's the jail cell. He's like, we're not sure if we're still going to do, like, the nude jail sequence or not, so we'll figure that all out. I was like, I'm sorry. What? And apparently when they did it in La Jolla, Stark was completely naked in the jail. Like, when they throw him in prison, they threw him in naked, and he was thrust onto the stage in what God gave him, and he had to put his clothes on. I was like, I don't know if that's necessary. But the bathtub thing uh, ended up ended up being a, a thing where you know we get basically revealed in the bathtub, and so like backstage I'm in a robe or whatever, and then I hop in and derobe, and then we have this. We couldn't figure out how to make it, uh, you know, cur- like a courtesy cover uh-huh. or something. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, mostly for Laura because she's sitting above me like looking straight down the whole time. And there's like a famous picture of like her like you in the tub and she is making eye contact. Yeah, yeah. She is she like knows being where to look. professional. She yeah. knows where to look. But well the the thing is I was like listen you know I love Laura and we're very close but we're not that close. And and uh, and I want her to be comfortable and I want to be comfortable. And so they devise this little thing like where I'm supposed to be in the tub and this is so low tech. I mean, they really could have spent a couple more bucks on this. So we're in this like claw tub, and somebody's like made suds backstage, like a little bowl of suds. They put like one sud on my shoulder, one like on my ear, and then like one on my knee because my knee's like sticking up out the side. And then there's a there's a like a cloth which is like a sheer kind of nude cloth, I guess, that looked like a like a un like a unfolded like pantyhose sort of thing and they covered it with bubble wrap and then they put like gold i'm not gold and silver glitter on the bubble wrap and that was bubbles and apparently it read i was like this has got a oh this is also like a uh concealing us from you know people in the in the house house right that are up uh on the balcony because they can see right in there and uh and yeah, so I had this tiny little thin thing covering it. I hop in, take the robe off, pull the flap over. Laura hops in, scene goes. And then when they come in and I hop out, I'm hopping out naked, but I, you know, hop out sideways so you can see the butt and for like half a second. And then, and the the weirdest part was like the change off stage when I'm like running off naked. I'm like, hey guys, how you doing? Okay, put on the underwear, put on the thing. And I had to, and that change was like a 25 second change into a three piece suit. And then I have to walk on, like, as cool as a cucumber. It's like we're, like, meeting Bonnie's mom, like, out in the woods or something. And I'm, like, meeting her for the first time, trying to be cool. And breathing as, like, steadily as possible, even though my heart is beating. Just being, like, making sure everything is zipped. Like, do I have shoes on? Do I have pants on? I do. Okay, good. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Keith, man. Keith. Save my life. Um, uh, Newsies was my favorite movie I ever saw. I saw it 8,000 times when I was a kid. Wow. Now is the time to seize the day. Now is the time to seize the day. Answer the call and don't delay. Answer the call and don't delay. Wrongs will be righted if we're united. Let us seize the day. How was it to be in it? 
It was great. I mean, I saw it a few times as a kid, um, but not 8,000, maybe more like eight. We, like when 10. I grew up, we had um, what are called VCRs, and I wore out don't the tape. Don't act like I don't know what a VCR is. I had a VCR. How I wore out the tape. I was on my, I went through two tapes of Newsies. You did? Yes. You grew up in Texas, mm-hmm. and you left when you were 18. Yeah, I left for college. I went to Ithaca College when I was 18. How did you discover that you wanted to be an actor? Um, I was always a singer. I was very, 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 very shy as a kid. Um, and I was in choir, which took a lot of convincing just to, me, to get me there. But I had done it since like fifth or sixth grade. And then we did a choir concert when I was in ninth grade at the th- community theater. And somebody came up to me afterwards and was like, hey, do you want to like do this summer community theater like camp you know it's like just a thing to do over the summer we need some boys that can sing and we don't have hardly any said okay fine so i did it and i kind of like got the bug a little bit but still i was on stage just kind of like making faces and singing like i didn't know what acting was and then um i was cast my junior year at the same community theater as the mute in the fantastics and I was like, well, that's, this doesn't make any sense. What, why? I should be the boy. And they're like, no, you're the mute. And the director just I was like, this director is weird. What's wrong? He's like, I see something in you. I see this quality. I was like, oh, dude, whatever, dude. I didn't have anything else to do, so I did it. But then it sort of opened up the world of, of listening and being present on stage, which I had never really done before. I was just, like I said, up there to make faces and sound pretty and you know do choreography and and so i immediately was like i have to do this like this is incredible i'm i get to like become somebody else i'm like getting to sort of have this weird escapism from my own personal stuff and uh and that was when i decided to be an actor and it was late i mean it was a junior high school so i had to kind of shuffle and the guy that was the lead in the show that was the el gallo kind of became my mentor he um he was a Navy guy that always wanted to pursue theater and just never did professionally and uh, wanted to kind of relive his missed out youth on, uh, you know, through me. <laughs> and so he, he helped me audition for schools and got me like my, got my book together and gave me monologues and sent me on my way. And that's how I got to Ithaca. And Where else did you apply? I applied to CCM as my very first audition. My throat dried out because I was too nervous, and I cracked on Anthem. Oh, Anthem, of course. My my dance audition was impeccable, even though I'd never taken a dance class in my entire life. My my scene work was mediocre. Didn't get it. <laughs> Just CCM and Ithaca? Just, no, no, that was my first one, and then and then I did like a like a New York audition because a lot mm-hmm. of schools come to New York, and I did I did Carnegie Mellon, Ithaca, and NYU all in New York City within like a three-day period and um, did much better. I had gotten that one under my belt and um, I got an NYU and Ithaca. I got waitlisted at CCMU, which was my top choice. Uh, oddly, like so many of my friends went there that same year. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Um, like Carol Lindsay was there in my year. We would have been best friends. <laughs> <laughs> but alas... Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I like, my backup school was Buffalo because my mentor knew people there and could get me in no matter what. I I knew I wanted to be up somewhere up away from Texas. Is it weird thinking back on that, like, time when you came to audition in New York now that you're like a big star? Do you wish you could say to that kid, like, don't worry, it's all going to work out? 
Totally, but at the same time, like, it doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm. Like, not the way that you think it is. Like, I'll say it's going to work out in some way. But, like, you may not have that life that you thought you were going to get. And you may not want it. And that's most what happens to most people is they find out that they don't want it because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. And it's, and it's constant rejection. You come to New York, you... We're an understudy in Rock of Ages. Yes. Was that your first Broadway gig? It was. What was your second Broadway gig? West Side Story. I want you to know that I'm usually so well-researched for these things, but I didn't think we were going to get to do this today. So it's okay. You get to do West Side Story with the woman I would marry if I was into women, Karen Olivo. Karen Olivo. Oh, my God. Love that her. woman has war stories from that show. <laughs> uh, and, okay, we just have to talk about Newsies. Okay. So, okay, Newsies was the show, the movie that everybody saw, that everybody turned into a musical in their living room. That totally. everybody, like, sat down and, like, wrote the script out and did it in their high schools yeah. and their basements. Well, boys. Boys, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are lots of, like, girl Newsies fans as well, but they didn't, like, reenact it. They just watched it. Right. Did you reenact it growing up? No, I was not that kid. <laughs> you were just, no. you just watched it a I lot. I just watched it and, like, quietly sang to myself in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Could you is anybody ever? looking at me no no i'm not i'm not singing i'm not singing could you ever have imagined that you would get to be the jack kelly on broadway that is never the biggest dream of all of the kids that's the thing age. is like i didn't know it was a dream until it happened and then i was like oh my god i like i you, you don't think about for me i never thought about that growing up because i never wanted to do this until i was older and by the time i was like 16 or 17 when I decided I wanted to do this like I was past that point in my life where I would dream about things that I would do like I would dream I was a professional baseball player or an astronaut or like I was a cool scientist that saved the world or something (laughs) like I would dream about that stuff when I was a kid Mm -hmm. never the musical sort of star I never had the star dream that's um, so So even when I be decided to be an actor, it wasn't to be a star. It was just because I really loved to sing and I liked to act and I really wanted to make people happy. And like that's – it was never the star thing. Um, and I think your- that's a good way to go about the kind of world. So, But when I first got – when I first heard it was coming and I, I saw the script and I, and I was like, this – I got – this is mine. I, it was the really? first time I'd ever seen a role and been like, this was made for me. I'm, this is my role, and, and this is what I'm going to do. And I, I did it from the first reading. I mean, I went in. I did the audition. And they, they had apparently forgotten to call me and didn't <laughs> find their jack in, like, three days of auditions and, like, went back, and then, like, I got called in, like, later on. And they're like, oh, there's, this kid's good. I was like, why wasn't I brought in for this originally? <laughs> Who was a part? Who, the, it's Harvey Firestein, right? Yeah, Harvey Firestein. Alan Menken. Alan Menken. So when you guys get to, you went to Paper Mill. Yeah, went to Paper Mill. That was your out of town. Like that, that was our out of town, and then it was they were gonna they built the set to tour, and then they were just gonna tour with it, and that was gonna be it. And it was the same team. It was Tobin, right, on costumes yeah. and sets. Yeah, Jeff and- likes to have the same people. Some of the other designers were the same, and yeah, and he put it all together and i mean we had chris catelli yeah of course uh, who choreographed it i mean th- and that choreography and jack feldman who's the lyricist are you a dancer like was that choreography no. intimidating to you yes it was i'm not a dancer i can do choreography yeah with practice yeah but those kids in the show were far and beyond above what i could do so i was trying to play catch up with them and 
luckily I had an other skill set that I could kind of fall back on and not feel completely inadequate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it took me the entire rehearsal process to, to finally be confident enough to do that paper dance and seize the day. Um, and a couple of other things that they put me in and, you know, I was there mostly to sing and emote. <laughs> You're the main players like you and Kara and Ben and Andrew. What a group. Yeah. What a group. I mean, how was it to work with those guys and to get to collaborate? It was amazing. I mean, uh, Andrew and I had done it from the very beginning. Um, and then Ben came on, uh, Ben and Kara came on a little bit towards the end uh, they couldn't find a Davy, and I was in well, on all the Davy rehearsal, on all Davy and the Kara and the Kara and the, <laughs> and the Catherine auditions. And Ben walked in. I was like, "This kid went to Ithaca to sing." <laughs> Did you know him? I met him once. I didn't really know him, but he killed it. And I was like, okay, guys, if you don't hire this guy, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> and then uh, and then when they did the Catherine auditions, I was there as well, which is, I was like, I've never been on this side of the table. This is amazing. Wow. They saw, like, when I was there, it was, like, it was final. So we saw, like, 10, 10 or 12 girls. And there were two that I was like, there were two that, that could feasibly do it. I was yeah. like, these, some of these other girls are really talented, but they're not right. There were two, and it was Carol Lindsay and then the girl that was her understudy. Oh, really? And like, and yeah. And so it was super cool to kind of, and, and Carol was a friend cause she was dating Kevin Massey who was in Bonnie and Clyde with me out mm-hmm. of town. And if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, I had mentioned cause, cause Jeff had said, we don't have a Catherine. We have to find a Catherine. And I had just met Kara and I had, and I had seen a video of her doing, she was doing cabaret, yes, and yes. I saw a, 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 a video of her saying, uh, maybe next time, and I was like, holy shit, this girl is, this girl is it, and I, had sent, I sent Jeff that video, and then like a few weeks later, she was auditioning, so, I mean, I'm not going to say. But. <laughs> La- just like last question, I know you have to go, and you're so generous with your time. Of course. Harvey Firestein. Yeah. I mean... I was raised on like Torch Song Trilogy. Yeah. Did you have any of that like knowledge or was he just like the silly guy from like those movies? Like Mr. For me, it was a little bit more the silly guy from those movies. Um, I knew that he had done the redo of Lacage, which I was a big fan of. So I knew that he knew what he was talking about. And, uh, and he was just lovely. I mean, and, and the thing is like his script was so good that we barely rewrote it. Like occasionally we'd fudge a line here or there or change a thing here and there. But, like, it was just so on point. And I was just remember being so amazed that, like, someone that was so kind of over the top and flamboyant and crazy like Harvey is could write something that was so not that, yeah. you know, which is, yeah. like, the voice of the Newsies characters. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's great. And, you know, there was – we were at Paper Mill, and after opening, he pulled me aside in the bathroom. <laughs> Harvey. And I know. Come on, girl. And he was like, Jeremy. I'm so proud of you. This is incredible. I never thought that, that um, you know, that we would make it this far. And it's all because of you. And you're just a star. And I full out started weeping. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. I love doing Independence Day. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. I was like, well, I can't think of that other movie. Last question. La- really last question. Okay. Um, will you give us like two sentences about your experience doing Smash? Two sentences? Yeah. Or just as many as you can spare. I had a great time on Smash. It was the singing was really a great. Uh, the studio recording was a really good process for me because I never gotten to do that 
really perform. It was really very collaborative. I wasn't really a part of all the backstage drama in terms of like uh, the writers and the producers clashing. Uh, and it was really hard to watch because by the time it started airing, we were almost done. And as soon as it aired, we realized that there was something going on. Last few weeks of production, they cut our budget in half and like oh. we just really felt the weight of it. And then watching it over the course of the summer or the the spring, really, when it was all released and then got moved from, I think, Thursday to Friday to Saturday. It was it was hard, you know. It was it was difficult to watch something that you had so much fun. And I made some great friendships. Uh, Krista and Andy are great friends. Yeah. And Josh, who was the showrunner, was a good friend as well. And so, I mean, mostly good memories. Um, and it opened it opened some doors for me too, which was great. All right, I have to let you go. Okay. I am so grateful that you agreed to like let me ask you all these questions. Dude, oh god! Bye, Trust Jeremy Jordan. Them streets down there. You guys, BroadwayCon 2018 is right around the corner. It's happening January 26th to 28th, right here in beautiful New York City. You know, the BC EFA flea market was this past weekend. And while I was there, I bumped into two young women, Casey and Sam, who I met at BroadwayCon 2017, and who also met each other at BroadwayCon 2017. And they are literally best friends now. That is the magic of BroadwayCon, you guys. So here's our friend, actress and blogger Erin Quill, on the really cool stuff she's participated in and created for BroadwayCon. And I love it. Hi, I'm Erin Quill. And the first year at BroadwayCon, I was on a couple of panels. And last year at BroadwayCon, I hosted the first all-Asian American panel with B.D. Wong, Amy Hill, Manu Narayan, and Kelvin Han Yi. And after the panel was over, and we talked about some painful stuff, we tried to keep it um, honest and real and funny and entertaining. And after the panel was over, some audience members came and cried on my shoulder and thanked me and said they finally felt visible. Uh, One person tweeted, if this is the kind of support the Asian American community can muster for their theater people, then I feel more comfortable trying to reach for that dream which was really nice. Um, And then when I was sitting at the main stage, you know, watching a presentation, this man turned around and he said, you're Aaron Quill. And I was like, yes, because I also have a blog, The Fairy Princess Diaries. And usually when somebody turns around and says, you're Aaron Quill like that, it's probably not going to work out well in my favor. But what he said was, I want to thank you because... You have changed my mind about casting. And I was like, well, then I want to thank you for being open and listening. And he said, okay. And I said, okay. And there you go. Broadway Con, mending hearts and minds every year in January, snowstorm or not. Once again, BroadwayCon 2018 is happening January 26th to the 28th here in New York City. Tickets are now on sale and have never been less expensive. You can find tickets and information, including super reasonable hotel deals for that weekend, at broadwaycon.com. And I cannot wait to see you there. Theater People is a product of Theater Podcast Productions and is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Mike edited this episode. Special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Robbie Roselle, Ty Williams, Cynthia Wallach, and Carol Spellman. 
Thanks also to Steve Tipton, Bradley Bean, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back next week with my goddess, Helena York. And we'll see you then. Just for fun. Watch me stand. Watch me run.